Take your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. We're going to look some in chapter 3, and we're going to begin, uh, we're really going to begin with verse 11. We'll talk about what happened before that a little bit, just to get us ready. But we're going to begin in verse 11, we're going to read a few verses, and we're going to jump to chapter 4. But Exodus chapter 3. Uh, I told y'all last Sunday that I would be going this past week to a conference in Baton Rouge uh, called Impact Your World Conference. And the whole, the, the goal of the conference for me was to, to take that first step to Spain. We are, as you know, we've adopted the, the people group there. Um, if you're on Facebook, and, and that's why with the recording, I'm, I'm going to try to refrain from saying what group. Uh, if you're on Facebook, if you have a blog, those kinds of things, we do need to be careful about mentioning the group. I, I thought, I, it never crossed my mind, honestly. Uh, it, I didn't think there would be any problem. I mean, it's Europe. People from America travel to Europe all the time. But we had a missionary, or not a, not a missionary, a guy from the IMB tell us, um, Friday, a story about a couple who just went on vacation to Spain. Um, they, they weren't going on a mission trip. That wasn't their goal or anything. They were just on vacation. And while on vacation, they were there over a Sunday, they were looking for a church to go to. And there are a number of English-speaking Baptist churches uh, all over Europe, actually. There's an international Baptist convention. Um, anyway, they found a, a church somewhere, wherever they were in Spain, went to it Sunday morning, met this guy, turned out this guy was a missionary to Spain. Oh, well, that's great. We had no idea. It's nice to meet you. We're so-and-so. You're so-and-so. Hey, take a picture with Hey, you know, nice. Click, 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 click. They got back home, weren't thinking about it. They were putting on their website or their Facebook, I think it was actually Facebook, uh, about their trip to Europe, their trip to Spain, and, you know, and they did this this day, and that the next day, and that on the other day, and Saturday they went there, and Sunday we went to church and met this nice missionary named, and on Monday we went, and, I mean, just that kind of thing. Four months later, the missionary was kicked out of Spain. So it happens. So if you noticed, I had talked about it a lot on Facebook. Well, I went back and deleted all those things, and I've been trying to cover my tracks just because we don't know. Uh, so I'm... I'm going to be careful not to say too much, and you can talk about it. I'm not saying that we can't mention it, especially even here at the church. We can talk about it, but anything on the Internet, there are groups, there are government officials for Spain and other countries that look for, I mean, they'll go to the IMB website, and the IMB says they're targeting, you know, that's where I found the group name. They'll find that group name, then government officials go and Google that group name and Google church with it. And I found that if you Google our people group name with church next to it, guess whose website shows up? Our churches. So we're having to be careful. Things that I wasn't aware of, uh, we don't want to do, y'all, we're going to face enough problems as is. We don't want to create any more, okay? So uh, I'm going to be careful uh, about that. But I went to this, uh, this meeting, and I, I expected to learn some things, um, and I did. Uh, I expected to be convicted, and I was. Um, we met as, as a church on mission. We will be uh, 
we will have two contacts with the International Mission Board. One of them is basically the, uh, the best way to describe them would be the liaison, the contact between the International Mission Board and a particular area of the country. Our, our guy, his name is Elvin, is, uh, he lives in Oklahoma City, but his region is Texas, Oklahoma, uh, Kansas, and Nebraska, I think those are his, and it may go a little further. So he's our first guy. I met him, got to talk to him. We, you will be hearing from him. He will be here at some point to tell you, explain better what's happening than I can, because as of yet, I'm still not completely clued in. The other gentleman, and uh, for his sake, I'm not going to mention his name because he told us he is, uh, he's high security. He gets into places where nobody else can go, so I'm not going to put his name on camera. But he is our contact for Europe. He is the guy that, for the International Mission Board, talks to churches like us and says, okay, you want to minister in Europe? Here's how you have to do it. He's the nuts and bolts guy. He's going to know all the stuff. He will be here in the summer as well and he will be training all of us, the entire church, for particular things, specifically people who feel like they may at some point want to take the trip to Spain, and uh, he will be doing all that training for us. We've got a long way to go. I think that's probably what I learned more than anything. But what I also learned, what I was also uh, convicted, encouraged, however you want to put it, was that it's time to start moving. We've got a long way to go, so let's go. Um, you're going to hear me talk about it a lot now, if you, as if you haven't already, right? Um, we have a lot of irons in the fire, and we should. There was much talk about, uh, uh, at the event, about Acts 1-8, that Acts 1-8 is not sequential. When he says, you will be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He wasn't telling us to do one, and then you do the other, and then you do the other, and then you do the other, as you can. What he's saying is, you got to hit all those places. And that's what we're going to be doing. We're hitting all those places. Some of our, our efforts will require a lot more effort. Europe, and I'm just going to, that's what I'm going to that's how I'm going to try to refer to it from now on, is Europe, because it's very generic. Um, if you want more information, of course, the bulletin board in the back with the map, and there will be information there. We can get that. That's not a problem. Europe is going to be a lot of effort. Europe is going to be a lot of labor, a lot of uh, uh, going and coming, and a lot of expense, and a lot of just getting beat up, honestly. Um, one of the reasons that, uh, that I feel like God led us to this place was because of the language they speak there. And we have a lot of those language speakers in our church. But one thing we learned, and this is an example of how we're going to get beat up, so just expect it, is that when we go there, they look down on speakers of that language that aren't from that country. So uh, they, if you are from Mexico, they look down on you because, well, you're just, you're, you're, uh, you kind of speak our language, but pfft, not really. Those are things we're going to have to face. 
y'all, we're, we're going to be facing a, a group that is entrenched, and that's probably not even a strong enough word, in Catholicism. We're going to face spiritual warfare like I don't know that we've ever faced. But did you hear what I just said about the language and Catholicism? Does that sound like anywhere close to home? Like across the street? You see how it's going to work? Don't think of going to Europe as this isolated event. That's something our church does. That's one more thing that our church does. Going there is what we do. Missions is what we do. When we get there, I, I, I have this idea in mind, and it's not something I came up with. It's really something we learned this weekend. Going there is going to teach us how to go here. Because we're going to be dealing with some of the same things. It's not one of the, uh, one or the other. It's both and. We've got a lot of work to do. So let's look at Moses and Exodus. Moses knows something, knew something, about a, a, a lot of work to do. He knew something about difficult job assignments. And uh, I told the deacons this morning, and I told Etta this morning too, I, you know, every time I get up to preach, I love it. Okay, every time I'm preparing a sermon, I think, oh, this is pretty good. You know, this is good stuff, because I'm learning things, and I'm getting excited about it. This is the first time that when I closed my Bible, clicked save on the computer, and clicked the little X to close the PowerPoint slides, because I was done, my first thought was, I want to preach this. Now, I'm excited about other things, and I've, I've done it before, but y'all... Settle in, all right? Get comfortable, because I got some stuff to say. And we're going to, I'm going to try not to hold you till supper. Um, especially folks that, you know, this is your first time, you're going, wait a minute. Nobody said he preached all day. Um, so I'm going to try to be nice to y'all. Exodus chapter 3, let's start in verse 11. Let, well, let's get a little background. Remember, we, we, preached, we talked about this uh, month, a couple of months ago. We talked about the call of Moses and how God came in the burning bush and said, Moses, you are my guy. And as a matter of fact, we went through some of these verses. Uh, but that's where we are. Now, Moses, he, he's, he's been wandering around. He's uh, had his sheep, on the, taking them to the other side of the mountain to, to try to get some good pasture land for them. Remember that Moses spent 40 years in Egypt, grew up the child, the adopted child of, a, of an Egyptian princess. Chances are he didn't speak Hebrew or learned it later in life. He spoke Egyptian. Then he realized, wait a minute, I'm Hebrew and they're not, teaching, they're not treating my people the right way. Look, there's an Egyptian guard mistreating. He killed the guard. Next day, he sees some Hebrews fighting. He says, hey, y'all, settle down. He said, oh, what are you going to do? Kill us too, big man? And he said, uh-oh, I'm in trouble now. And he takes off. He goes to Midian. 
He spends another 40 years in Midian. He gets married, he has kids, takes over his father-in-law's business of shepherding. He's gone from prince, never would have been pharaoh, but high uppity up in Egypt, to the lowest job that you could have. The Egyptians had nothing but disdain for shepherds. And that's what he is now. So he's pushing 80, taking his father-in-law's sheep, Around the other side of the mountain, he comes across this bush, and the bush isn't burning, but it's on fire. That's not, it's not supposed to work that way, and he realizes it. God speaks to him from the bush and tells him what he's going to do. I have seen, remember we talked about that, that, that God didn't get Moses and then say, Now, Moses, hmm, what am I going to do with you? No, God had a plan. God had something he was already working on, and he invited Moses to come along and be a part of it. So he's made the invitation. Moses has had a few seconds to think about it. And we pick up in chapter 3, verse 11. But Moses asked God, Who am I? Didn't we just sing a song about that? Hold on. Who am I? that the Lord of all the earth, no, that's not what it says there, is it? But it does say, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Did you do that on purpose, Mike? That was good. That, I, I, just, I just caught it because I'm dense. Um, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He answered, he being God, I will certainly be with you and this will be the sign to you that I have sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Skip on down to verse... 1 of chapter 4. Not that this other stuff isn't important, but there are no fewer than 1,873 sermons found in this passage, and I can only preach one of them today. So skip on down to, to verse 1 of chapter 4. Then Moses answered, this is his third question, What if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say, The Lord did not appear to you? The Lord asked him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Then he said, Throw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground, and it became a snake. Moses ran for, from it, but the Lord said to him, Stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. This will take place, he continued, so they will believe that the Lord, the God of the, their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. In addition, the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. So he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, his hand was diseased like snow. Then he said, God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. He put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, it had again become like the rest of his skin. If they will not believe you and will not respond to the evidence of the first sign, they may believe the evidence of the second sign. And if they don't believe even these two signs, or listen to what you say, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. But... Moses replied to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, either in the past or recently, or since you've been speaking to your servant. 
because I am slow and hesitant in speech. The Lord said to him, Who made the human mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Verse 13, Moses said, Please, Lord, send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, Isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well, and also he is on his way now to meet you. When he sees you, his heart will rejoice. You will speak with him and tell him what to say. I will help both you and him to speak and will teach you both what to do. He will speak to the people for you. He will be your spokesman, and you will serve as God to him. And now take this, ta this staff in your hand that you will perform the signs with. Obviously, not all these were questions. Verse, uh, verse 13 was not a question, it was a statement. It was actually a command to God from Moses. There were more concerns. And as we see these, we're going to see that they get progressively more doubtful. As Moses works through it, it gets worse and worse and worse. Hold on there. Hold that thought. First thing he asks is, God, what about me? Verses 11 and 12. You're calling me, what about me? Yeah, it's, it's me. It's Moses. You know, are you sure? What about you? Are you going to be in this? Are, are you, is this going to work? Are you going to, are, are you really going to control it? His third question, well, what about them? Verses 1 through 9 of chapter 4. What about those people? Next question he asked is, okay, really, seriously, what about me again? You, I know we're rehashing, but okay. And then finally he just says, anyone but me. And as I said, this isn't really a question. Uh, this is a statement. Anyone but me. Let's break it apart. Moses says, but what about me? Exodus 3, 11 through 12 the first part of 12, 12a, we're going to stop there. But Moses asked God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that, should I, that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? He, God answered, I will certainly be with you. Now it is understood in, in the Bible that when God calls somebody to, this, to a task, the first response, and, and not just understood in the Bible, your first response should be humility. God called me, but wait, God, you know, you know who I am, right? Well, God says yes, but you know, you know who you're calling, right? And this was especially understandable given Moses' past. He had this idea already that he was going to deliver his people. Forty years before, he killed an Egyptian and the Hebrews made fun of him. Didn't work out the way he had planned. So it had been understandable that, that, that Moses would have said, but what about me? Uh, it was understandable because he understood his own limitations. He understood that, yeah, at one time he was not an heir to the throne, but someone influential in the government in Egypt. And now he's a shepherd. I'm not the guy. It, it, I'm, I'm not... I'm not important. I'm just a shepherd. That's all I am now. 
See, as I said, this is an expected response of humility. We're okay at the moment. That's the point I want to make to you. Moses is all right. He's not treading on thin ice here. Our response should be, really, God, you've, you've chosen me? We should be humbled by the idea, and Moses was. But interesting, God's answer, I will certainly be with you. This whole I am with you promise, <laughs> uh, throughout the Bible, when it shows up, it usually accompanies a task that has a high risk of failure. You know, God never has to say, or, or I guess rarely has to say, um, when we say, Lord, I'm going to make toast, I'm with you. We've got the toast making, right? When we say, I'm going to put my shoes on this morning, some of us might be a little more difficult to put the shoes on for some reasons, but we don't need God to say, I'm with you. Not a high risk of failure that I'm not going to get my shoes on this morning. When God has to say, I'm with you, we're looking at a high risk of failure. The possibility is there that it's not going to work out. Why? Because God's weak? No, but because of us. A high risk of failure. So let's move on. He goes from the but what about me question to the but what about you question. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, well, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. These two passages, I was, I was reading some stuff this week. There was a gentleman that wrote a book on these two passages in the 1980s, I believe. His first page of his, his discussion of these two verses, two verses, he put a bibliography in the footnotes. You know, bibliography is all the works cited, all the works you could go to to find information on these two passages. In the footnotes, supposed to be the little thing at the bottom of the page, his footnotes were two pages long. There are literally hundreds, probably thousands of books and articles and papers written on these two verses. I'm not spending that much time on them today. As a matter of fact, I'm not even coming close probably to doing justice to how we could examine and chew on these two verses. But I do want to hit a couple of things for you. The first thing that we see later on is that there's absolutely no evidence that the elders ever asked this question. Realize in these two verses, the question is not about Pharaoh's response. It's about the elders, the people he's going to help. It's about their response. What, about, what are they going to say? When they ask, who sent you? What am I going to tell them? Honestly, this is more about Moses than it is those people. This is Moses really borrowing trouble. We don't need to borrow trouble. Uh, we'll have plenty of it without the help. Then the next thing I want you to look at is when God says, I am who I am. Hebrew is fun, all right? The language is fun. When you see this verb there, 
It could actually be a past tense verb, it could be a present tense verb, or it could be a future tense verb. So God could be saying, instead of I am, he could be saying I was, or it could be saying I am, or he could be saying I will be. And then that word in the middle could be either that, or what, or who. And then the next one, I am, I was, or I was, I am, or I will be. It could be any combination of those. And we don't really know what. And I think that's on purpose. It really gets to the fact that God is present. And, and I don't want the verb in there. I put up there, God present. When, when the children of Israel were moaning and crying because of their slavery, God present. When they were being led out by Moses, God present. When Jesus was in the garden praying and the sweat drops of blood were coming down his face, God present. When he was on the cross, God present. When a family member dies last week, God present. When the job ends but the bills haven't, God present. That's the point God is trying to make here. I am, I was, I will be. Anytime you ask me, it's right then. I will not have changed. He goes on to say, I'm the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm that God. I'm the God right now of you, Moses. I'm the God that will be with you when the children are coming out of Egypt. I'm God, regardless, either end, any time, regardless of the situation, God present. And that's really all he had to say. And we're going to move on from that because we could be here a while. So Moses says, what about you? I am. That's all he needed to know. Skip down to verse 1 of chapter 4. And I've abbreviated it up here. I've really only put when God was mentioned and when Moses was mentioned in, in verses 1 through 7. So it makes for a very odd-looking set of verses up there. I'll read them for, for you so, and then just kind of pay attention to when you're hearing what's on the screen. Then Moses answered, What if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say, The Lord did not appear to you? The Lord asked him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Then he said, capital H, throw it on the ground. He threw it on the ground, and it became a snake. Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to him, stretch out your hand, grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand, he caught it, it became a staff in his hand. This will take place, he continues, they will believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. In addition, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. So he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, his hand was diseased, like snow. Then he said, put your hand back inside your cloak. He put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, it had again become like the rest of his skin. So let's see, what's, what's happening with Moses here? Then Moses answered with a question of doubt. What if they won't believe me and will not obey me but say? The Lord did not appear to you. Verse 2 the Lord, in this case he told, gave a command. 
Verse 3, Moses ran. Verse 4, but the Lord. Verse 5, the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared. Verse 6, in addition, that should say the Lord. Verse 7, then he said, capital H. Who's the focus of those seven verses? Is it Moses? Is God focusing on Moses' concerns? Is he focusing on what Moses can or can't do? Who made the snake turn into the staff, or the staff turn into the snake? Who made the snake go back to a staff? Interestingly enough, if you, uh, it doesn't come across in English very well. The Lord, uh, after he threw the, stake on the, the staff on the ground and it turned into a snake and Moses ran, the Lord said, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. Take hold of it. Reach out and get it. The, uh, the verb for uh, Moses. So he stretched out his hand and kind of snatched at it. Totally different verb that doesn't show up in English. God said, take it. And Moses is going. <laughs> All right. See, the focus is on God. The focus is not on Moses. So when, when Moses asks, but what about them? It's not about them. It's not about how you're going to confront them. It's not about how you are going to get there and what you're going to do when you get there and what you're going to say when you get there. It's about the God who sent you. See, now these questions are really more doubt and they're less etiquette. The culture of the day required that when you're asked to do something, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. And that can go on for a few times. Read, go back and read, uh, they had all kinds of, of, uh, of rules for uh, uh, bartering. Go back and read when Abraham was buying the land uh, to bury Sarah in. And he goes to the man who owns it and says, I want to bury my wife, let me buy this land from you. And he says, oh, you can have it. Oh, no, I wouldn't do it. I will give you this much. And the guy says, oh, no, give me half of that. Abraham says, it's worth too much to me. I want you to take the whole thing. And the guy says, okay, we've got a deal. Same thing happened when David was buying the, the, the threshing floor for the temple later on. He went to the, the guy who owned it and said, this is where God wants the temple. I want to buy this from you. I will give it to you. And David said, far be it from me to take for free something that I want to give to God. It will be bought. Well, here, take it for this. No, we will pay a high price, etc., etc. All kinds of rules for those kinds of things. Moses was fulfilling these cultural rules, these expectations to begin with. But now he's kind of getting off track. We're getting more and more doubtful and less and less polite. See, Moses understood this was a difficult people. He knew from his own experiences. He knew how they reacted when he had this, this plan of his own 40 years before. He knew this group. And he knew how they were going to respond. Keep that in mind. He knew this group. He knew their history. He knew their religion. He knew their... Their, their faith, he knew their culture, he knew their 
let's be honest, their small town attitude. They weren't great and mighty country of Egypt. They were slaves. They, were, they lived out in the, the boonies of Goshen. He knew these people, and he knew this was not going to be easy. So God, what about them? He's talking to a bush that's burning, but won't burn up. And he's asking questions, wait, what about these people? They're kind of, they're, they're difficult. He's talking to a bush that's burning, that won't burn up, that's talking back. You know, they say that the, uh, the, the sign of a crazy person is not when they talk to themselves, it's when they answer themselves. That's really when you know you've gone over the edge. I, I think the sign of, of, of God working, of, of the reality of God's presence, is not that the bush is burning, but it won't burn up. But it's that when I talk to the bush, the bush talks back. And yet, Moses is worried. But what about them? All right, God, yeah, I see the bush. But they don't see the bush. So he gives them the signs. He lets them know that it's going to be taken care of. Fourth question. Really, but, uh, but what about me? But Moses replied to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent. Verse 10 of chapter 4. Either in the past or recently, or since you've been speaking to your servant. He's kind of throwing it back on God. You know, he hadn't cured it yet. I'm still kind of struggling here. Because I'm slow and hesitant in speech. Actually, that means heavy of mouth and heavy of tongue is the way they would, we would translate it if we did it literally. The Lord said to him, Who made the human mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. Now, for Moses at this point, there have been all kinds of discussions and studies. What did Moses, would he stutter? What? We don't know. Probably, honestly, is less speech impediment because he does fine later on. And more just a lack of eloquence and clarity with what he would say. This, and, and he could have possibly been concerned about a language barrier here. You know, he, he grew up speaking Egyptian. Hebrew was probably a second language to him. Now he spent 40 years in Midian speaking their language. He's not going to sound like this, this uppity-up Egyptian official anymore. He's going to sound like a country bumpkin. Okay? He's, he's from out in Midian, and he's a shepherd. He's not going to be this great orator. He's just going to talk. And sometimes it's not going to be great, at least in his mind. Regardless of the reason, though, he did not feel capable. So the first question, when he says, but what about me? He's not talking about, but what about me in, verses, uh, in chapter 3, verse 11, uh, his ability. He's talking about his, his, his worthiness. God, what about me? I am not worthy to do this. Now he's saying, what about me? I'm not capable of doing this. There's something I want you to see. You've got to see this in the Hebrew. You've got to see this 
in the Scripture. Remember I said when the name of God, when he's given the name of God, he said I, it, it's not necessarily I am that I am. It, it could be I will be what I will be. I'm going to change the translation here a minute. What's on the screen? Let's go back to uh, the verse. Let's do the whole thing. Okay, let's watch the whole thing. Uh, when he says, when God answers, let me find my place. I've never been eloquent, either in the past or recently. Verse uh, 11, the Lord said, who made the mouth? Verse 12, I'm sorry. Now go, I will help you. If we carry that, let's go back to the name. Let's say the name was, I will be what I will be. I will be. God's answer to Moses is, now go in verse 12, I will be your speaker. It's really what he's saying. I will not, not I will teach you what to say, I will be your words. Moses is here and, and they're, 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 they're doing this little language thing. They're using the pronoun I a lot. And Moses is doing this little duel with him. God says, I am. Anoki is, is the pronoun. Anoki am, am your God. Anoki am the God of Isaac, uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses will come back, but I know key, but I, God, you said I, well, well, I, yeah, I know you said, but I, and now God's doing it back to him. And he said, my name is, I will be. So I will be your mouth. Don't worry about your ability. I will be your words. Don't worry about what you're going to say. I will be, I've been, I will be. I am now, I will be. Back and forth, God's letting him know, there's nothing you're going to do. I will be. I will be. I will be. And lastly, verse 13. I got to get... Exodus verse 13. Chapter 4, Moses said, Please, Lord, send someone else, anyone but me. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and he said, Isn't Aaron the Levite your brother? You, I know that he can speak well. He doesn't have a problem with his mouth. And also, he's coming to meet you now. When he sees you, his heart will rejoice. You will speak with him and tell him what to say. Next sentence, it says, I will help. I will be you. I, I will be to you and to him the words. I will be now to both of you. You didn't take it, I'll be to both of you. And we'll teach you both what to do. I will be the lesson to you. He will speak for the pe to the people for you. He will be your spokesman and you will serve as God to him. See, 
Moses gets part of what he wanted here. He got somebody else to go. He didn't get out of it. He had to go too. But he got part of what, of what he wanted. But you know what? He lost most of the blessing. He now has to share the responsibility, and therefore he shares the blessing. That's when the anger burned. That's why you hear the, the anger in what God's saying. Fine, you get this. And boy, you don't know what you, you're asking for. But I'm going to give it to you. Here you go. You asked for it, you got it. Uh, the episode in verses 24 through 26, later on in Exodus 4, probably is a continuation of Moses' uh, obstinacy. He has been hard-headed, and we see that he continues to be hard-headed. But finally, it, it, it helped create problems later on. Moses, I'm sorry, Aaron as the mouthpiece. Yeah, it was Aaron's eloquence that led to the golden calf later on, on upon which uh, Moses destroyed the first tablet with the Ten Commandments on it. Getting Aaron to come along and be the spokesman was a concession God gave knowing that it would not be the way it should have been. So blessing was lost, sin was created, and more and more problems came along because of it. Alright, now's the sermon. Sorry. But what about FBC in Spain? Yes, we're going we're gonna to support the church in Phoenix. Yes, we got things going uh, in Nixon already planning, and we're going to do more. I believe, though, our number one calling, what God is putting on this church to do, is to reach these people in Europe. I believe that with all my heart. A lot of other things are going to happen, too. But this will be the number one work, activity, this is it. So let's take this whole deal with Moses and see how it applies. Instead of what about me, but what about me, God? Moses has asked, asked the first question. What about FBC? There are some of you here thinking that we're inadequate for the task. You're right. We are completely inadequate for the task. And I'm not talking about ability. Remember, Moses' first question did not deal with his ability. It dealt with his worthiness. And people, we should ask, if God is calling us to do this, are we worthy to do this? The answer is no. We are not worthy to lick the ground Jesus walked on. All right, let's get that straight. We are not worthy to call God Father. We're not worthy to say that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ on equal footing as far as the inheritance we will receive someday. No, we're not worthy. And that's the point. Jesus Christ makes us worthy. Period. So if your concern is, we can't do it, we have a past, we have a history. I can't do it. I have a past. I have a history. You're right, you have a past and you have a history, but you're worthy because Christ makes you worthy. 
So in answer to the first question, what about FBC? Yes, yes, we're inadequate. Uh, God answered that question in verse 12. He answered, I will certainly be with you. That's all we need. You want to be worthy for this task? God will be with you. That's the only way you are made worthy. All right, well, what about you, God? What about you? Are you, are you going with the church on this? Are you going to say, all right, Nixon, it's time for y'all to go. Have fun. <laughs> Is that what you're doing to us, God? No. I was, I am, I will be. I was when this church was founded. I am when your pastor's up there telling you these things and you're going, ain't no way. And I will be when you take that first trip across the ocean and you see what I'm going to do in the people of that country. I am, or I was, I am, I will be. What about you, God? I've got it. Yeah, well, what about them? What about this group? Um, they're tough. Uh, they're hard. You know, there's a reason they're an unengaged, unreached people group. Because they're hard to reach. Because they're hard to engage. What about them? Yeah, they're tough. It's going to be hard. They are entrenched in their religion. They probably already know the answers they give to those, those people who want to talk about Jesus with them. Guarantee you they know. What about them? Uh, chapter 4, verse 2, the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? He had a staff, okay? We don't have a staff. We have a, a Ephesians chapter 6, and you can turn there if you'd like. First, verse 10, I'm sorry, verse 12. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the world powers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. Skip up to verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation, and what's next? The sword of the Spirit. God is asking us, what's that in your hand? God, what about them? They're not going to believe us. What's that in your hand? But God, they, they have their religion. They have their tradition. What's that in your hand? But they, they have that too, sort of. They've never read it, but they, what's that in your hand? My biggest mistake, y'all, this, this is it's confession time. My biggest mistake in witnessing to other people that, that I think, okay, I just met them. Now is not the time to tell them about Jesus. My biggest mistake is discounting the power of God's Spirit and His Word. That is my biggest mistake. Because this is our sword. God is asking, what's that in your hand? Moses, what do you have? He had a staff. We've got the Word of God. So, what about them? What about them? The last question. 
sorry, the, the third question. Okay, really God, the fourth, I'll get my right in a minute. Really God, what about us? All right, okay, so we are, we're worthy, I got it. But what about us? We can't. God, do you not know the things that are stacked against us? Do you not know how many people are here this morning? Do you not know how many people were here last week? Do you not know the spreadsheet that Michael keeps on his computer that averages the number of people we've had every Sunday? Yeah, I do that. I'm a nerd. God, did you not see that number? We can't, all right? We can't. We are incapable. We don't have the money. We don't have the people. We don't have the time. We can't. I'm going to give you a verse. Look at that scripture. Matthew 10, 19 through 20. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you should speak, for you will be given what to say at that hour, because you are not speaking, but the Spirit of your Father is speaking through you. Uh, Michael, I didn't say we didn't know what to say. I said we can't because we don't have the money. I said we can't because we don't have the people. What I'm saying is, no, you're scared because you don't know what we're going to do when we get there. Me either. Yeah, we can... We can quibble about the money and the people. But we're real quick to say God can provide whatever he wants us to have. We're quick to do that. We start talking about when we get there. And then the questions really start to fly. So I think this verse went too far. I think this verse really strikes the heart of the question. Are we capable? Shh, no. I don't know what that is. I guess it's my batteries, but it shouldn't have been. They're fresh. Are we capable? Absolutely not. Turn me down a little bit. There's some feedback. Uh, are we capable? No, we're not. We cannot do it. But we're called. And when we get there, the Spirit will speak through us. What is that in your hand? So all the questions... All the concerns, no, we're not capable, but God is. Last thing Moses said was anybody but me. There are some sitting here right now that are thinking, anybody but us. Call a big church, God. Call First Gonzalez. They got lots of money, probably. Call Houston's First. Call Second Baptist in Houston. Call... Castle Hills in San Antonio. Anybody but us. Let's see, how can I put this? No. Very simply, no. I will not be a part of a church that tells God no. Can it be any clearer? We cannot be a church that tells God no. Look at what happened to Moses. Am I still on at all? Okay. Look at what happened to Moses. Now it's on. Now, all right, good. Moses said no. And God said, yes, but... 
Number one, I don't want the qualification. I don't want the but. Nixon said no, and God said yes, but. Secondly, God might say okay. God might say okay. You say no, fine. I firmly believe churches that say no die. Period. What good are they if they're telling God no? And just to prove it, I've got a scripture. Isaiah 6, 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who should I send? Who will go for us? I said, Here am I, send me. Go back and read that someday. Go back and read the, the, the verses leading up to that. Isaiah 6, 1 through 7. Look for the place where God says, all right, Isaiah, this is what I want to happen. Do this and this and this, and I've got this plan, and they got that plan, and these things. Whom shall I send? And Isaiah says, sounds like fun, send me. No, go back and read it where it says Isaiah was worshiping in the temple, and God had said nothing, and then suddenly God says, who should I send? He didn't say where. He didn't say to do what. He didn't say anything. Whom shall I send? And what was Isaiah's response? Anybody but me. No. Here I am. Send me. That has got to be our answer. That has got to be our response. End of subject. What is your response? See, but what about Jesus? There are some here today have never asked Jesus into their heart, and he's knocking, and you've told him no a bunch of times. And you know what? Someday he'll quit knocking. It will end. He will accept your no and say, okay, I don't want that to happen for you. So today is your day. Admit that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is and confess with your mouth and with your actions that Jesus Christ is your Lord. Accept the salvation that is offered today. Church, accept the call that God is putting on your life today. We're not all going to go to Spain. I know that. But we can all be a part of this church going to Spain. That's what we can do. God is calling. What are you going to do? Let's pray. Father, I pray, for, I pray for our church that we are a church that says, here I am, send me. Before we know the direction, before we know the task, before we know anything, we answer yes. And Lord, I pray that if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you as Savior, that today their answer is yes. God, move among our people today. Do mighty things among us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's your decision today? What is God leading you to do? How has God changed you? you the word was opened. It was spoken to you. You read it. You've heard it. God now demands a response. And what is your response? As we sing, let's respond. Come forward and pray. Give God what he's asking for. Come talk to me, see me after church. What's God doing?
Let's stand and sing.